0: Tompkins. hey what's good? How's it going everybody? How you feeling? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Nobody Currently, but these are the mixtape days. Right now I'm in the Subaru last episode intro and outro. I'm taping from the road. Maddie and I are wrapping up our trip out west. We've been on the road for almost three full weeks. Finally, I'm getting back closer to home and uh, we're currently in San Diego and I'm about to bounce, but The last few weeks have been amazing interviews. They've been really great guests, really fascinating stories, a lot of stuff to take away, a lot of stuff that's worth your consideration, and it's worth examining, not only in your life, but in others, a lot of deep topics and heavy conversations. But I absolutely have been loving these. Of course, I mean, I'm kind of fucking biased, but I think the feedback that I've been getting from other people is that. Dude, these interviews lately have been slapping. Continue lining up people like you've been bringing on. And I promise, I will. (laughs) I will. So today's guest is my guy, Tim Schladen. Tim lives just a couple houses down from me in the little condo neighborhood that we live in. And we strike up conversation from time to time. And they're always really deep, fascinating conversations Tim and a group of others have been leading protests up at Walgreens and Prospect over the last 18 months. So we spent some time talking about that, that experience, some of that feedback that they've got week after week. We spend a lot of time, though, talking about the power of vulnerability. I wanted to circle back to something that Tim said in the very first episode that I had him on for, where he said that vulnerability is a superpower. It is the key. And I was like dude, I've been saying that ever since you told that to me. I've been saying that to people. And as many times as I'm having conversations with people, I realize how fucking true that is. So would you want to come back over to the studio and circle back to that and revisit that? So that's really what we spend the bulk of this episode talking about. And we just kind of, (laughs) you'll hear him make reference to it. We're swerving a lot of lanes. We're swerving a lot of lanes and we're covering a lot of ground but we always find a way to tie it back into what we're talking about. And vulnerability is something that manifests itself in so many different ways. And vulnerability and empathy are really the two keys to sitting down and understanding people because we've been at such a contentious place and we've gotten to such a contentious place. And it's like, how do we get better? How do we move past this? How do we find a way to connect with people who we might not agree with on Facebook, but we know we got to deal with them because they live in the same community as us, right? Their kids go to the same schools or their friends or our friends. We know we're going to see them out somewhere. How do we continue to find middle ground and say our dissimilarities are really what connect us? It's not everything has to be identical and we believe the same thing. And No, man, this is the real world. People have their beliefs. People have their disagreements. But it can't just be one side shouting versus the other. And I think that's what we spend too much time doing right now. Politically, spiritually, socially, religiously, sexually. There's so many different verticals that this touches. And that's why I knew it was important to get Tim back over here and talk about this. So... We go from talking about the protests to why and how we've come this passion-depleted community, why nobody's willing to sit down and listen to each other, and how we can push past that. What can we do in our own communities to help flatten that gap and bring people closer together? And then based off of that, our conversation skews into tribalism. Again, you've been hearing me say, dude, I've been having a lot of conversations about tribalism. Yeah, here's another one okay and it's good stuff it's really good stuff so we spend a lot of time talking about vulnerability we spend a lot of time talking about empathy and we spend a lot of time talking about tribalism and i really hope you guys enjoy this episode and if you do please let tim and i know by leaving a rating and a review on apple podcasts shout out to everybody that's done that already but if you have not it takes two seconds guys and it really helps me grow the show people look at that stuff so please Drop a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow along on social media at BennyTomp18 on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow along the show page on Instagram or Facebook, you can find that at RealTalkWBennyT. All right, guys, without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Tim Schladen. All right, we now welcome back Tim Schladen to the show.
1: Tim, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Ben. Great to have me back. It's an honor to come back and uh, support you and your listeners and uh, uh, hopefully make the world a better place for folks. At least for an hour, right? At least for an hour, right? Absolutely. At least for you and me. So
0: We'll have fun, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, anytime I get to talk to you, it's always the highlight of my day. Mm, thank you. Being in this place, there's enough people that I don't <laughs> like to see, so when I see you, it's like a neighbor that I like.
1: <laughs> One of my people, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Remind the audience what it is that you do. I am a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed clinical alcohol and drug abuse counselor, and a certified Daring Way facilitator. That would be the work of Brene Brown. And I'm in private practice, and I have an individual practice. I see individuals, couples, and I also run a men's group on Monday nights.
0: A lot of stuff right there. I, Yes, it is. <laughs> and you are still seeing all of your clients via Zoom right now?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I shut down uh, my face to face on St. Patrick's Day, actually, 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to go back and create a hybrid, some face to face, some Zoom. And the Delta variant started popping off. And it just like, you know what? I'm always happy to the first of the year. And I'm still going to do a hybrid, which means I'll do some face-to-face, some Zoom. I'm really digging Zoom because I really like that five-second drive to the office. Hmm. It's real nice. Yeah. (laughs) When the roads are outside bad outside and the roads are slippery, the only thing I got to worry about slipping on is my shoes walking down the steps with a cup of coffee. (laughs) Not bad.
0: Where was your office before that?
1: I was at uh, over on LaGrange Road, over by Oxmoor Mall.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So I bet yeah, you definitely don't miss the traffic over there.
1: No, 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 no. Life is good. <laughs> good.
0: Good. Well, the reason that I wanted to get you back in here was because something that you said the first time you came on has stuck with me so profoundly. And it comes up so much when I'm speaking with either writers or my friends in some way that's unrelated to the show. Just somebody comes and we're just having a conversation, and I always think about what you said about the power of vulnerability and vulnerability being the key. And I'd like to go ahead and revisit that and spend some time talking about where that comes from and
1: why you believe that to be so true. Okay. Love to. Um, Well, my training with Brene Brown is really where I got awakened to it and I know that term wokeness now is a catchphrase that is a loaded word so I'm not going to say I'm woke I'm more aware mm-hmm. okay that's a cleaner way of saying it so Brene's I saw Brene in a TED talk actually on YouTube seven eight years ago and, and that was the copy of her TED talk was a power of vulnerability and I listened to it and my jaw dropped because it was like, it was a two-by-four in the head mm-hmm. and a, uh, a feathering tickle in the heart. Because uh, what she was saying really rattled uh, this thing called the man box that I think most men live in, which is vulnerability is weakness. Vulnerability might look good on somebody else, but not for me. Because mm. if I'm vulnerable, then the men or the world at large, at least my teaching, were, don't be vulnerable because they'll take advantage of you. Don't show that because that will be a sign of weakness, and if you're weak, then watch out, right? Mm -hmm. I think the same holds true for women, but just from a little different perspective, meaning if they really show their vulnerability, just the system of misogyny and patriarchy in that harms women in that way. So women armor up their hearts just like men armor up our hearts. Mm-hmm. So I, I, as a heterosexual man, I fall in love with a woman, and she's got an armored heart, and I've got an armored heart, and our hearts are bleeding to reach and love on each other. But it's got to get through all this rusty old muck of a teachings that says don't be that, which I learned big boys don't cry. If you don't quit crying, I'll give you something to cry about. I know that one. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a girl, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Think about that. Telling a man, telling a boy at 12 or 10 or 6, don't be a girl is actually teaching him to not appreciate girls and women, actually. Mm -hmm. Don't be like that. So if you're told not to be like that, how can you really appreciate it? Wow. Okay? Yeah. So... uh, that's a long—I I feel like I'm getting preachy. Uh, it's a, <laughs> well, hallelujah, cool, brother. We like going deep. <laughs> hallelujah, brother. Uh, so that's a long way of saying I learned it from well-intended people that were misinformed who learned it from well-intended people who were misinformed. So I think this thing called vulnerability and the okayness of it and letting it present itself more and more as a way of being is breaking generations of— teachings from my family's history that says don't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean your family history probably has a little bit of the same sampling in there, right? Absolutely. I mean we come from a Italian
0: Catholic culture that was dominant on my dad's side of the family and five brothers, no women in the family besides the ones that married in who really didn't ever feel comfortable having a voice because it was always don't betray your husband, don't take sides against the family, had a lot of that gender policing in ways that Mm -hmm. you would talk about don't be this, you can't play with that, or don't be interested in this. And right. it was all, no, you got to play football. My dad was maybe the most gung ho machismo of them all, was a Marine and then a football coach. And so, oh my gosh. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> yeah, we were raised jugheads, you, you know? And, so, but. Did you have a flat top? Uh, no, thank God. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. No. But, but, you know, I think growing up with that, And then realizing that that actually wasn't how I wanted to be was great for me. And I think there's so much of that feeling of I don't want to open up, especially when it comes to dating. Let's talk about dating and relationships, Mm -hmm. and especially when you're starting a relationship And the way that my generation or younger generations communicate now at the beginning of a relationship is through texting or social media. It's through the phone. And there's almost this notion that I'm sure you've probably heard of like the wait three days rule. I think that was like a Seinfeld thing or something to call. Now, if you call somebody, people are like, who the fuck is a serial killer calling me right now? So you almost have to go through this, okay, I'm going to read it, but I'm not going to respond. I'll come back to it, and that should let them know that I'm interested, but not too interested, and there's all this guessing game, and it's almost as if we live in a world and a society where people are scared to say, I care about anything.
1: Oh, yeah. Because if I tell you I care, then I'm going to show you my heart, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then you might weaponize my words against me and hurt me. So, you know, these things <laughs> called cell phones are great connectors, but they're great weapons of mass destruction, too. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And again, it's a total generational piece because myself, I'm 69, your dad, um, you know, we had to, you know, suck it up and go over and ask a girl to dance. <laughs> oh, my God. And it was. Oh my God! Is she gonna like me? And just the the just the clumsiness of it all. So this almost takes the clumsiness out of it, on some level. Well, you are clumsy in two dimensionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I was dating, I was clumsily. I was a three dimensional clumsy guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, in the dating world, vulnerability is important. There is a caveat with that, however. I want to be vulnerable when the person has earned the right to hear the depth of my story and not before. Meaning, can I tell this person who I really am and they won't weaponize it on me, won't betray it and go out and tell 15,000 people, throw it on social media, whatever? Mm. Or will they hold it in what Brene calls a vault, which would be I'd hold it in my heart And I'd be thankful that you actually had the courage to tell me something precious about yourself. And I would hold that in a good way in my heart. Okay. And, you know, we're such a chatty conversational culture now with social media. That's has huge cruelty to it Hmm. that, you know, to be vulnerable on social media. I judge is, uh, a a setup and it's and it's an equation to get whacked because there's a lot of trollers out there that just want to pounce on people right
0: oh sure yeah
1: you know so social media I think is is counterproductive to this conversation called vulnerability that you and I are talking about two-dimensional vulnerability is it's a start but it's the face to face and you feel my heart and I feel your heart. And it's like, hey, we're vibing together. I think I can count on this cat. I think I can tell this guy some truth. Then we can go deep. Yeah. Then we can, you know, then we can have a a real <laughs> we can have real talk then. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Little plug for the show. You know I'm good that way, right? Of course. <laughs> of course. So it
0: sounds like to me vulnerability and trust go hand in hand
1: oh without trust there's not vulnerability there's just social spewing of words okay yeah. if I, if i don't trust you you ain't getting nothing from me and versa. and i don't want if you don't trust me i don't want you either. i don't want your stuff either sure okay cuz if you don't trust me and you tell me some stuff you're actually hustling me
0: Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, don't be a hustler. Just keep it real. Yeah. Right? That's just keep it real. Like. Yeah. And, you know, with vulnerability, it's concerning any act of vulnerability. If you watch, or any act of courage, actually, things you read in a book, see on the news, read in a newspaper, see in a um, blog on social media, anything that you see that's courageous that reaches you. If you really look at it or read it slowly, you see that every act of courage is an act of vulnerability. Somebody puts themselves out there, period, over and over and over again. I mean, dude, the fact that you're in this conversation right now with me, you're being vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there for the people that want to hear you and will affirm what you're saying. And you're putting yourself out there for all the whack jobs that are out there too. They're there. Are you dare. They're, they're in there. the bushes, right? <laughs> they're in the bushes, ready to pounce. Sure.
0: But I believe to lead by example. That's always my style of leadership. Is I'm as much of a servant leader as much as I am as take my hand. I'll show you the way. And if everybody else wants to stand around and talk about how to get something done, I'm. I'm not going to wait for direction. I'm just going to get it done. I'm just going to kind of go for it and follow my lead. And yeah, I might not always lead people to the right places, but I know that my heart's in the right place. And if we have to make a detour and go somewhere else, then we'll figure it out and we'll turn around. Then that's part of the journey. I think that's what some people, I don't think that if we can just maybe segue over into leadership now that we're mm-hmm. here, I think holding the credit sometimes holds people back what i mean is somebody doesn't want to be the one to make the final decision because then if it goes wrong it all comes back on them and if it goes right then yeah they take the credit but i think the fear of things going poorly and then taking all that blame keeps people from
1: acting and serving oh 110 percent yes (laughs) yes Uh quick I'm, I'm, we're gonna we're we're here and I'm gonna just bring Brene in in a story that's gonna have vulnerability in it. Sure. So she did her TED talk and she got millions of hits and her mentors said, Don't read any of the feedback. Just be grateful you got all the responses. And she took that as Pandora's box and she started reading the feedback. And she got to for every thousand positives, she got one or two negatives. Which ones do you think she paid attention to? Negative. And it just tore her down. And she went into like a two-day darkness where she just binged on haagen ice cream. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Watched Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. And really told her husband and her kids, "I'm just going to stay in bed. Just leave me alone." because she gave power to that small sand of minority versus hearing the beautiful cacophony of all the majority of people that loved it. So again, the teaching as far as it back to leadership now is that if in my heart of hearts, it's the right decision, then you stand in it and you go with it. Yeah. And if it's the wrong decision, Wrong decisions don't define who I am as a man. Wrong decisions just give me an opportunity to fall down, get up, dust my pants off and my knees off, look somebody in the eye and said, yeah, you know, I, I kind of struck out on that one, didn't I? But mm-hmm. I'm back at the plate. Throw me another pitch. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. So it's a challenge to continue to dare and to be great, which is the name of her book, Daring Greatly, over and over and over again. But, again, because I think the phenomena of social media has robbed people of some of their courage to take leadership stances and to move forward.
0: Because of the way that they see people get cut down?
1: It's such a barrage, man. I mean, it's such a barrage. Be wherever you are on the political spectrum and all that, it's such a barrage of negativity. And and we are becoming, I judge, a compassion-depleted culture. There's not a lot of generosity, and there's not of. in the Prayer of St. Francis, the first line of it is, seek ye first to understand versus being understood. What does that imply? Gee, Ben, tell me more about where you're at. I don't quite see it that way, but I want to know more from you so I can understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't get a lot of that going on at all. We're all armored up, weaponized, and throwing spears at each other. And I think behind all that, we're all just, we're all afraid of being vulnerable. I think we're all just terrified on some really core level. COVID did it, climate change, I mean, the political, everything. I think on a really deep level, we humans are very fearful. And we weaponize ourselves in ways to not go there and estrange ourselves from people that aren't like us.
0: Do you think people are afraid to be judged?
1: Is that why we armor up? Uh, that's a good question. My first answer would be yes. And my second answer is I'm afraid. Yeah, afraid afraid to be judged because I don't want to be seen as not enough, and all the things that go under the not enough list. Right, smart enough. Wealthy enough, good-looking enough, thin enough, nup, nup, you know, all the nupnesses. Mm-hmm. That, again, there's such a critical mass that's coming at people that we are all playing things very close to the vest and hurting each other. Where I think being vulnerable and sitting and listening and, and talking about fears and being kind to each other would I think could help heal a lot of these social woes were that seem to be getting louder and louder in all of our ears now.
0: I'm heartbroken because I feel like we really missed a great opportunity to maybe sit down and, and I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I don't know if it's we get a moderator, maybe it's the president of the United States, maybe it's not, but somebody that can sit down Sure. Uh, well, then you uh, alienate the atheists. Thank you. Right. So there's are <laughs> the Jewish folks. Sure. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Are <laughs> <Or> the Buddhists. <laughs> so there needs to be somebody that's universally loved. Maybe it's Oprah. You know. Maybe <laughs> we sit down and we have this it. big roundtable discussion, and Oprah moderates it. I like it. And we can have people who aren't interested in just shouting over each other like the debates that get the ratings on television. But we could actually have representation for anybody and everybody that wants to come up there and pitch their thing and say, here's why I believe what I believe. And then truly create a moment of understanding because there are so many people, especially driving for Uber and even just two different people that I've had in the studio this week that talked about some stuff off air that they are a little bit scared to put out there because they don't want to get canceled for varying different uh-huh. Social stances, mm-hmm. and they don't feel comfortable enough sharing that stuff because we see what happens when people actually tell the truth and put their name on something. Yep. And I think in those conversations, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, this isn't a bad person. Mm. It's it's not. They believe something different than than I do or than I have before. But I can tell that this is a good person. That if I needed something, I could call and rely on this person. But yeah when you really start to strip away and try and get at the heart of why people believe some of the things that they do, if they're not able to actually articulate that and they're going off of, well, I thought it was this, or oh, maybe it was the other one, but 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 my point is, yes. and but so when you really strip it away, it's like, what do you really believe? Why do you really believe that? And getting to the heart to that, I, I don't know, it's just we're in a place where People are so entrenched in what they believe, but I don't know if they really stop and have those moments of self-awareness where they look inwards and say, okay, why do I actually believe this? And Mm -hmm. am I open to my opinion changing based on new evidence or information that might either support or be in contradiction of what I'm believing? And it's disappointing because I thought after COVID and the protests that it seemed like as good a time as any to sit down and really start listening to other people or quote unquote the other side yes and just understand where people are coming from and if anything has happened i feel like we've gotten farther away from that
1: sadly i'm gonna agree with you and it is unfortunate i mean it really is unfortunate i um just two blocks from here at the Right in front of the Walgreens, there was my wife and some folks organized a protest and we were there for 18 months asking for equity and justice and holding up Black Lives Matter signs. And, and not Black Lives Matters as it relates to the organization, but just a life matters. And the vial that was hurled at us was unbelievable now as a white man it was easy for me to kind of brush it off but as the husband of a black woman i was jacked up about and angry and again and i bet every one of those persons that hurled that was exactly what you said was at heart of hearts a good person and love their people, love their family, worked hard, earned what they've got. Mm-hmm. But something about a band of seven or eight people standing on a street corner holding street signs reached them at such a core level that all they knew to do was to hurl stuff at us. More at my wife than anybody. N word? Oh, the N word, go back to Africa. One guy drove by and feigned like his hand was a gun and shot at us with a finger. And all we're just saying is, hey, let's find a way to make, not equality, equity.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of violence against the police. You know, I support the blue line, okay? Everybody up there supported that. All we were saying is equity for just equity, period. Be you black, be you yellow, Mm -hmm. be you uh, LGBTQ, be you white. Can't we all sit at the table and all have a fair share? And so we've finally, uh, Ronda made a decision last night. She she posted something on social media and said that she was going to take time away because she said after 18 months, just the collective trauma of the vow has taken a toll on her heart. And she wrote it and then looked at me and wept because she thought she was doing something wrong. And she wasn't. She was taking care of herself. But she's so dedicated to equity that it hit her in a way. So anyway, we're, 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 we're swerving a lot of lanes here, I know. which is beautiful, yeah. which, is, which is what we need to start doing as people. But yeah, can we sit and become vulnerable with each other? And you look at me and me look at you and say, wow, I don't get that. I don't get it, dude. And you don't get me. Is there some place we can come together? Can we find a common ground? And I think for all of us, there is a common ground. We want the best for our families, our children, our parents, our grandparents, our neighbors. We want the best. Mm -hmm. It's just we're all locked into how we get it. And it's got to be my way how to get it, not your way. And I think that's the big battle. My way is the right way. Your way is the wrong way. So back to you put out you wanted to talk about some duality. There's duality right there. Mm -hmm. I'm right. You're wrong. And nothing's going to convince me that you have anything to offer because I've already convinced myself you're wrong. And and you've convinced yourself that I'm wrong, so I think we're screwed. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bunch of people with their minds made up. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) There was a 70s song. I forgot who sang it. And that was it. That was the tagline. I got my mind made up. It's a funk song. God, I wish I could pull it up. But that's it. <laughs> I got my mind. <laughs> I'm
0: dating myself, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you bring uh, a, a, a level of wisdom to the studio with that. Well, thank you. <laughs>
1: with my old 70s funk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: and segueing into another part of what I mentioned we would spend some time talking about is tribalism. And I think I keep having these conversations that are surrounding tribalism, and it, it's just a common theme that seems like it's been like my fortune cookie, and then I've seen it seven times in the same week or something, yeah. you know? I just had yeah. one conversation, and then the more I start to think about it, the more that I see it in a couple of different ways. Like, one, there's a quote that I really like that says that your vibe attracts your tribe, Mm -hmm. I like that. When you think about your family or the people that you surround Mm -hmm. yourself with, your support network, that's your tribe, right? But then there's another type of tribe that is less about what you choose it to be, but it's, okay, I'm a man, I'm heterosexual, I'm white, I am from Kentucky, I'm able-bodied. Like We start to check off all these different boxes, Mm -hmm. and then that creates a system of people who also look like us. And I think it's good because it gets back to equity. Groups that have been disenfranchised traditionally in the history of the country who are now saying enough is enough, what do we have to do because we've asked politely? Stuff hasn't changed. And now we demand equity. We demand a seat at this table. We cannot and will not be ignored anymore it threatens the way of life, that my way or the highway <laughs> thinking of who has held traditional power in America, which is a lot of old white men. Yes. <laughs> and Like me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, uh, but um, I think some of where that vileness comes from is almost, it's a threat. It's a threat to people's way of life where they've lived a certain way for so long and now they feel threatened, but that's not the way to look at it. And those tribes, I feel like people are getting more entrenched into taking care of themselves, and we see it for good and we see it for bad. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with somebody and we were talking about, he is uh, he's a black lawyer, and he's like, you know, I, I think there's a market for me to sell my services to people who are also black that want a black lawyer, kind of want to be taking care of themselves. And some people might disagree with that, but when people started moving to this country, a lot of it was Italians take care of Italians, Jewish people take care of Jewish people, black mm-hmm. people take care of black people. Yes. And now it feels like we've made some progress and now people are starting to go back to that a little bit. I don't know where we're at in terms of society with all that stuff, but I see it happening and... I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I know if I was somebody that had been disenfranchised traditionally and been fucked over by people that didn't look like me, that I would probably be way less likely to trust those people. You think? And how could I fault somebody? (laughs) You think? Yeah. I mean, and even Native Americans. I mean, these are all groups that I think are finally fighting for that visibility. And the more and more we see groups of people boycott certain brands or choose to vote a certain way and really weaponize, quote-unquote weaponize in a good way, their money, then people are saying, whoa, this affects our bottom line. We better pay attention to these people now. We
1: can't just ignore it anymore. Yes, very, very much so. And it's, I think it's I won't be alive to see the change, and you may not either. It's going to be your children or your grandchildren that I think are going to see it all. And, you know, it's you hear the say America is a melting pot. Well, you know, a melting pot implies that we're all the same, right? We're not all the same. We, yeah, we're Americans, but we're uniquely all different. So we're really a jambalaya. <laughs> we're a lot of ingredients in that pot, not just that's just congealed into one glob.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think there, just that mythology, is just in us that has us uh, at, at odds with each other. I mean, back to you know, how did our country start? Settlers got mad, didn't want to pay the taxes anymore. They didn't like the system of oppression. Mm-hmm. What'd they do? They revolted. They tore some stuff up, didn't they? Yeah. All right. Do a bunch of tea in a harbor up in Boston. And on and on and on. Okay. So, you know, when we see, or say, what happened in downtown Louisville with windows being broken and some, some out, you know, some stuff like that, that's how it happens. Okay. Again, I don't, I don't agree with it. I wish it could be different, but it seems like the only way we're going to change. Not, I'm not saying go blow some stuff up. That's not what I'm endorsing at all. Okay. But I'm saying if you think about it, What happened in downtown Louisville was the exact way this country was founded. Just a group of people that wanted to be treated fairly, that wanted equity, that wanted to say, hey, see us, hear us, hear our complaints, and meet us in kind, not impose on us. And, um, you know, you said it. I wish it were better, but I think it's—I don't know if we've taken a step back, but we've taken a drop or two ahead. And this social change movement is is like watching grass grow. This is damn slow growing grass, dude. But it's it's growing. But it's slow, man. I mean, it's slow as hell.
0: Yeah, something like being out there. So for people that don't know kind of the, the dynamics of Prospect versus other parts of the city of Louisville, how would you describe Prospect? What are some words that you would use to describe Prospect?
1: Demographically, it's upper middle class, white. There's less than 1% black-owned businesses in prospect, so very white. Mm -hmm. Christian conservative, kind of the demographic of prospect.
0: And for 18 months, a group, a small group, It was big at the beginning, and then there would always be you and your wife and a group of just straight OG soldiers that were out there. Mm -hmm. And I understand why your wife wept when she finally made the decision to go ahead and call it, because you guys would stand out there every Friday, and I would honk if I passed you or wave. And it was something that, at what point... Yeah, when do you fold up that table? When do you say, we've done enough or we've done what we were intended to do and when do you feel like it's okay to, to walk away from that because the fight's never over. That grass is growing just at such a slow race or slow pace, but who, whose job is it to stand there day in and day out or week in and week out and do that?
1: The people with the power. Actually, not the disadvantaged, but the advantaged. Change is going to come through the advantaged ones, not the disadvantaged, because mm-hmm. they don't they don't have the monetary or the political clout to do anything. Okay, mm-hmm. so change is going to be through the haves, not the knots. And so that's who's supposed to stand out there now: are people that uh, look like you and me and hold the signs, because. They can't hurl the N-word at me, can they? Now, they can hurl some other stuff. One of the things they like to hurl was, we were up there at 4.30 on Friday afternoon. A lot of them would come by. They didn't know what to say. They said, get a job. (laughs) So, wait a minute, it's 4.30 afternoon on Friday. We've all been working all week. Get out of here. (laughs) There were a couple incidents of people driving by in the turning lane, giving us the finger, or the thumbs down, And they didn't pay attention. They rear-ended somebody in front of them. No way. You know what? And and I missed a moment with that. And one happened about a month ago. And here's the moment I missed, is that I took it upon myself to rail on the guy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He was expressing his opinion. I don't agree with you, right? Sure. And I just blew him up. Karma. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> How's it feel? I mean, I just ripped him out. Versus putting my sign out and going across the street and saying, hey, man, you okay? See, that would have went. He could not have armored up against that. That would have been a vulnerable move. See, I stayed armored with my sign on my side of the road and threw spears at him. Hmm. But vulnerability would have been to have went over and said, hey, are you okay? You want me to call 911 for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you, you hurled and cussed at me, and I'm still going to stand in front of you and say, are you okay? And and so upon further review, I wish I would have had the wherewithal to do that, but... uh, just it slipped my mind at the moment because it was more important to make him feel bad
0: <laughs> I chalk it up to being a human being that's right and oh
1: yeah totally human being I mean. and uh, uh, uh he wouldn't look at us <laughs> he wouldn't look at us at all <laughs> uh, he just got back in the car and he, and he put his sun visor down <laughs> wow moved from the front to the side so you could cover the sun on the side window he did that and uh, the guys they exchanged information and they drove off because it wasn't there wasn't any damage Mm -hmm. but it was enough to stop traffic and yada 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 so um, yeah I wish I'd have chose vulnerability on that moment and again that's a much more difficult choice isn't it Of course, over and over and over again vulnerability is the hardest choice you'll ever choose over and over and over and it can be that a moment at a street corner to protest or a moment with my wife when she sends it you know sends that out and 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 does what she does to, to say enough to just not say anything to her not try to coach her up but just reach and hold her hand and say i love you So she was vulnerable, and I wasn't trying to share some brilliant bullshit just to feel good for me because I didn't know how to take care of my girl. But she told me later, she goes, you gave me the best care possible. You kept your mouth shut, and you held my hand and told me you loved me. Thank you. (laughs) So I hit a home run and didn't know it. As a total sidebar, I
0: absolutely struggle with that because whenever my girlfriend needs just that nurture, I'm sometimes coaching her up as if I'd coach myself up, as I, as I do coach my, which is like hard ass drill instructant, get out there, rah, you Channel rah. your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I am. Because that's the voice that pushes me to keep going is yeah. you're not enough. You have to keep going. You don't deserve to stop here. Oh, yeah. And, and so. I don't go to that extreme with her because I know how toxic that is. So I'm not going to give that to anybody else. That's Mm -hmm. for me. I'm not going to put that on anybody else. But I do try and motivate and encourage others in a positive way. But she's like, look, sometimes I don't need... The motivational speaker. I just need you to sit here with me in silence. And I'm like, do you know how hard that is for
1: me to do? Can you get Tony Robbins out of here? Can I just be a Ben? Have you ever on YouTube, if you get a chance for you and all your listeners, there's a great video on that. It's been around for a while. It's called, it's not about the nail. Hmm. It's hilarious. It's about a two minute video about a husband and wife. And it's an atypical moment in a couple's life where the guy wants to coach this woman up and she gets mad at him because she doesn't need coaching. She just needs attention. And it's funny, it's poignant, and it is one of the best teaching tools I've found to show a man how to be with the person that he loves. Definitely. I'm making a note so that we can link
0: that and also Breen Brown's TED Talk into the show notes. Dude, so oh, that'd be great. That. Oh, I didn't yeah.
1: know. I didn't know you could do that. See, I'm a, I'm an AARP generation, so I don't understand a lot of this digital stuff. <laughs> that's what you got the kid for. <laughs> that's why know? I got you here, yeah, man. Yeah. Working, baby. <laughs> yeah,
0: we've swerved a lot of different lanes. That's how. I mean, typically, that's why you know people were like, "Hey, okay, well, can you give me a really structured list of topics and questions you're going to ask, and how do I prepare?" And I'm just like, "Dude, just come in and be you, and be ready to be honest and open, because we're." the way that my brain works, we can start talking about this. We'll end up here and here. And maybe if I'm really on top of my shit, I'll find a way to circle it back so we can make it sound like we were supposed to land in that moment. But it's always, but I find that these kind of conversations are definitely better than me reading off of a list and trying to ask the perfect question or oh, say God. the right thing. It's just, yeah. like, that's
1: not real. This is real. Well, and, and you, back to where we started again, Uh, Let's just keep linking it back through that lens. Reading off a list, the questions you've prepared and you've sent me has us having an elevator conversation. Okay? What do you mean by that? Meaning, well, an elevator conversation is (laughs) one, you don't look at each other in an elevator, right? Oh, okay. How you doing? I'm okay. Right? So it's kind of like drive-by conversation. Gotcha. Right? There's no connection. There's no... Reaching deeper, it's just, it's a head chat versus a heart and a gut chat. Mm. And uh, what I liked the last time we met and and this time is that, you know, it's about having uh, heart and gut conversations. And again, that's what we've been talking about. How do we sit together and have heart and gut conversations about our terrors and look at each other and say, me too? Everybody out there has it. same. Again, I'm getting preachy. So, again, how do we keep looping back to be vulnerable, to make the hard, courageous choice to be vulnerable? Courage is a Latin word which means of the heart. Not about dodging bullets running up a hill in a battlefield. That is courageous. But its original meaning was to be of your heart. Interesting. So again, every time you see an act of courage on TV, you see someone in their heart wanting to help another human, right? Mm-hmm. Total vulnerability because they're being in their heart and their heart says, this person needs a hand, needs help, is hurting, and the best of my humanity wants to reach to their humanity and give them a hand out. We ain't reaching much these days. Sadly not. Right.
0: Sadly not. This is my corner prospect Walgreens moment every time I bring a guest on. yeah, Or when I have conversations with total strangers that totally contradict my system of beliefs. Mm -hmm. What I find interesting is I usually will be quiet first. I'll ask them why they think that to truly try and understand where they're coming from. Right. And sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes it's really disheartening when it's, okay, now I've listened to you. Now let me tell you how I feel. Let me show you what's inside my heart. Suddenly that's when, oh, what time is it? I got to go. Or, yeah, no, 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 And they, they shut down. And it's just right. like, well, okay, great. I guess it's not a waste of time because it'll do me good in the future to understand maybe mm-hmm. somebody that shares that similar belief now that I've taken the time to understand it. But... There are some people that they want to be heard, but they don't also want to listen. And when I think about how we can reach that place of common understanding and just respect and empathy enough to try and understand people's different viewpoints, it's only through these conversations having just countless conversations. And it's exhausting. And I'm sure your wife or other people of color have probably echoed this sentiment to you that they're just exhausted of having these conversations in the last tired. Oh, Four hundred years 400 years <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 especially now in the last year and a half or two years it's just like while i might not be there with you guys physically i'm existing in a digital space hopefully and reaching the same people and intending to do those same things have those same conversations yeah, thank you
1: yeah. you know it's well this podcast and uh, what we were doing it was um man named Bob Earl, who was a recovering guy, and he was a screenwriter on some of the, in dating myself, some of the 60s black and white shows I was a fan of, of Andy Griffith and Gomer Pyle and all those things. Mm. He always said that it was his purpose was to comfort the disturbed. Then he paused, and then he said, and you get a raw smile on his face, and to disturb the comforted. <laughs> Okay, which is really John Lewis's statement of let's get in some good trouble, right? Sure. And, and you know, uh, I want to also give some props out to the scores of people that drove by the street corner and honked and gave us thumbs up and said, thank you. Keep it up. We love you. I mean, the scales are tip so heavy to that number. Versus the vial number. But again, sadly, the vial number, that poison just leaked in. And then, thank God, three or four people right after would honk and thank you and all that stuff. Or a lot of folks would stop and run into Walgreens and bring us water in the middle of the summer. Nice. One lady brought up a whole bunch of popsicles. <laughs> so, I mean, again, there were just these genuine acts of simple kindness, okay, that was extended forth. And you know, one of the things we heard too a lot of, which, and, and you know, it's interesting. It's a paradox. It's a both end. Is well, no, all lives matter. Yeah, that's the truth. And we wouldn't be out here having this protest if that were the living truth, though. It's true on paper. But in practice. We ain't practicing that. It's a great ideal. Yeah. And that's what we're hoping for. Sure. But right now, you know, it was interesting because we started as a Black Lives Matter, you know, just for equity. And then there was back in, what was it, maybe last winter, spring, there was that huge rash of violence against Asian Americans. So then we started bringing uh, equity for Asian Americans in. Don't don't harm me. And so again, it was a. We did everything we could as a group to not politicize what we were doing, because some people brought back in the fall of last year wanted to put up political signs, right, candidate signs, and we said, no, no, we're not here for that. That's not why we're here. Mm -hmm. We're not here to endorse nor oppose any candidates. Okay, we're here to endorse equity and oppose disequity. That's it. And they were, they were like, okay, thank you. And went on, <laughs> went on the merry way. Well, because the sad
0: <laughs> thing is, these things that we're talking about, basic human rights and, and equitable shares, have become politicized. So if you bring those politics into it and have the Biden-Harris sign next to a Black Lives Matter sign, it's only going to solidify the person that is anti both those things to mm-hmm. go see. Yep, they say it's not political, and there it is. There they are, right? Yeah. yeah, and it kills me. It's so the hypocrisy of the all lives matter people to say that when they don't give a shit about any of it. They're all they're doing is interested in invalidating something that juxtaposes their belief right
1: they're trying to do what i what I believe is what we, what we would call spiritual bypass you see that's a you know that's a very lofty position right mm-hmm. so I'm a whatever I'm a feeling whatever belief system you have there Beautiful human being. Beautiful human being. <laughs> There's a lot of institutional belief systems <laughs> we could plug in there. You and I grew up in the same one. Yeah. Uh, and because I grew up that way, all lives matter. But that's not what you're practicing. Right. You're not practicing that. And yeah. So it's again, how do we stay vulnerable? For I think for folks like you and me, the f- part that that's bears my vulnerability in this dialogue is to be aware of it's not a personal, it's it's a system. I grew up in a system that is disequitable. Okay? Mm-hmm. And because I grew up in it, then I profit from it, I believe. Culpability. Some people call that white privilege. Some people rail against that statement. I do believe I have privilege as a white man. I have privilege to be at a meeting and speak freely. I have a privilege to make about 30 cents more on the dollar than women. That's a very nice privilege. Mm -hmm. Okay? So when they start talking about my privilege, I get afraid I'm (laughs) going to lose my juice. (laughs) But the truth is, I'm not. I'm actually going to get more juice because there will be more players on the field of equity and more equal sharing means I actually get more than less. But my mind says if I give any, I'm losing. So I protect my causes.
0: Well, too often we think of things as a zero-sum game.
1: Bingo. Yeah,
0: that's the mentality of... Well, if I concede anything, then I'm losing. If I let these other people get more of a fair share, whose end is that coming out of? Mm -hmm.
1: I think for me, again, is that what I've learned is that what's behind all of that for me is just this huge piece of shame that, again, I didn't earn the shame. It was given to me. So when someone calls me out on my, bl- my, um, it was interesting, you used the word ableism, which was good, and I was caught myself using a word. I was getting ready to say, calls me out on my blindness. Well, I was asked by someone to look at using that word because what does that say to a blind person, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my unawareness, mm-hmm. much kinder word, right? Sure. So in my unawareness, I have profited and acted in ways that have hurt people. I don't know I'm doing it, but it has had a ripple effect. So when I slow down and I look at it and I I really broaden the lens and kind of look at the collateral issues, damage, destruction, hurt, let's say. Let's just stay with hurt, hurt, and to think that I was a co-conspirator in that it crushes me to my core because I could never see myself personally being that. And personally, I'm not. Okay? But in my unawareness, I live that day and night. But personally, I'm not.
0: It's not your intention to be harmful, but I think that's why when you're talking about It's now up to people who are in power to have some of these conversations, and it's up to some white people to educate some other white people on privilege or white guilt, what we're talking about here, Mm -hmm. or any of these things. It's to educate so that we don't have these, yeah, call them blind spots, call it an unawareness, Mm -hmm. but like what you were saying, another example of that would be growing up, I'm sure it was the same for both of us, but... At some point in the last 15 years, we've really started as a society to take away terms like that's gay or using those as something that we don't like. You know, that's stupid. Yeah, right. But when you're in sixth grade, everybody's saying it. You don't really think about it. It wasn't really until that Macklemore song came out. Yes. As sad as that is to say, because that's like a 2013, 14 song, but here's a guy talking about when you say something is gay and you use it in that context, you're saying that it's synonymous with the lesser. That's sad. That's The words that we use are really, really important, and I think now we're asking people and demanding that people are more aware of their words. Right. And I think people who have lived with all of these privileges now think, I can't be bothered with this stuff. I don't want to learn about what it means to be anti-racist or any of these themes that have come up in the last two years. It's just, well, you're asking me to do some work or maybe even look at what part I had in this culpability or my lineage, and I don't want to
1: do that. You've disturbed my comfort. So. Don't you dare do that to me! <laughs> Don't you dare do that to me! I was with a. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a workshop with my wife, and it's entitled "Unpacking Power, Privilege, and Difference." And so each week you look at a different ism. And last week we were looking at uh, heterosexism, and that as the power norm, anything that's not is less than right. Sure, no power. And there was a, a, a person in there that was speaking to exactly what you said, that they knew they were LGBTQ when they were in about the fourth or fifth grade. And they said, and all the words and all the slurs they heard were like little darts and arrows into their hearts and souls when their peers, just kids, were saying that stuff. And they said, and I know they didn't know what they were saying. They were just saying it because people before them said it, and people before them said it, and da-da-da-da-da. And they graciously said, and it still was painful. Okay? Mm -hmm. So then it made me go, oh, shit, what have I said? And it's like, yeah, i said that stuff. You know, I said it to fit in, to belong. No one else questioned it. At that point, well, it's what we did is in our in my culture, right? Yeah, not good people, sweet people, kind people, loving people, unaware people. Yeah, that's the deal. That's really it. It's just, and I and it, you you use the word cancel culture. It's that. Um, I think we've taken the pendulum has swung too far. I think with cancel culture, yeah because what it it hasn't done it's n- there's no space for atonement and reconciliation meaning you know yeah I was that guy and I did do that and now I now that I'm aware I'd like to know what that impact has been on you or whomever and what can I do to make it right yeah so it's it's as if cancel culture is the diss just like the diss of all the isms. This is a difference, right?
0: hmm
1: It's almost like the culture is trying to purge all their sins and try and, and anybody that gets outed they become the scapegoat of the day. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not John Gruden by God. <laughs> right? Or whoever whoever the next one is in the pecking line, right? Yeah. There's always somebody. Okay, there is, and there's no room for a job for whomever to to just to have a moment of rep of repentance. Sounds very Catholic. Of, of <laughs> reconciling, of of accountability. I'm saying, you know what? I did, and I was ignorant, uninformed. Did what was done. Before me, by other men, women, blah, blah, blah. And I was just following my lineage. And my lineage hurt you. What can I do to support you in your healing for my mistake? And Because the shortfall doesn't define who I am. It just lets me know again that I'm human, right? Mm -hmm. But it's what I do out of the shortfall. How I rise up. Again, dust myself off, suit up, show up again, and say, I'm ready. Put me back in, coach. I'm going to get it right this time. Mm-hmm. All right? I won't miss a block this time, dude. <laughs> All right? mm-hmm. That's what defines me is that I'm willing to take the hit and the loss and the tumble and then rise up and stay in my fullness, not run away and hide because I was exposed as making a mistake. Sure because if i run away then i've really converted all that into huge amounts of shame. It's kind of like did you ever watch game of thrones? Mhm. Okay. So there's a, i think it was the I think it was the second last season the season ender was when those priests stripped cersei of all her clothes. Yep. And they had the nun behind her ringing that bell going shame. Shame. I mean that's the weapon as Version of or the, the movie version of cancel culture now, and yeah. you know, what everybody do? They throw tomatoes and lettuce and cabbage and all kind of stuff. I think that was my grandma. That was right. On <laughs> that show. I had that none in school, grade yeah. school, <laughs> over <at> St. <Saint> Stephen <laughs> Martyr, Uh and but sadly, you know, we're all picking up that bell, ringing it at them, yeah. Versus saying, "Hey, come sit and just tell me how you blew it."
0: Yeah, yeah. I tell wish. me how you blew it. I wish that that existed before or there was some kind of a public trial or something like that, you know, Uh where, where there was a moment to say, okay, do you want to walk this back? And do you want to know why this was actually wrong or out of bounds? Or are you committed to believing this no matter what? You're not going to change. And the sad thing is I think people are willing to accept the fact that they might have, been unaware and said something that was harmful that they never realized because how could they? Some people, they've never been within a marginalized group, so they don't understand when they say something how badly it harms somebody. Mm-hmm. And when I hear people say, well, that's stupid or that is something that they shouldn't be canceled over, I mean, some things I think are justified. Other things I think are like a little bit ridiculous as well. But, but I think that if at the heart of it people aren't willing to stop and say oh wait a second it's not just a bunch of woke snowflakes trying to cancel me Mm -hmm. it's because what i said actually has an impact and is harmful and is hurtful to people Mm -hmm. people that i cannot relate to because i've never felt that hurt and i never have had someone sit me down and say
1: this hurts me bingo that's hard to hear too man
0: yeah yeah it is we're wrapping up because you've got to get out of here.
1: But damn, I think- time flew, Laura. <laughs> we our tangents just lifted us off into another world, didn't I it? it? I know it. What a delight!
0: But um, just wrapping a ribbon on and all this stuff—it's great discussion. We didn't even, there was one more topic that I was like, maybe we'll get, but I'm I'm, I'm glad that we went as deep as we did in, on a lot of this stuff. And I just, I hope that through more conversations like this and watching you lead some of the men's groups, and I'm sure some of the conversations probably stray into some of these topics as well. It's just, I feel that actually being about it and having these conversations is the only way to really, rub off on your own community and act change and i believe that people can make a difference no matter if it's that they have extreme power or if it's just somebody standing up in front of their walgreens every friday for 18 months you can make a difference on your community and that's where it really starts is just at the grassroots level so tim thank you for everything that you do thanks for having me and i'm glad that we could do this anytime (laughs) see you man all right guys i hope you enjoyed that episode with tim schladen Tim's the man, he's honestly the man, lives just a couple houses down, and anytime I see him walking or with his grandson, playing out in the street, I always strike up conversation, and it always tends to be a very good conversation. So much so that I was like, hey man, would you want to come down to my basement? Not weird, I promise, not to be weird, right? But we do, and we have conversations like that, and... I really appreciate where Tim is coming from in the ways that he looks at social issues and the work that he's done to put himself in other people's shoes and the work that he leads other people through. I just think that's, he's somebody that I have a lot of admiration and respect for and I'm always happy to have him on the show. So he will probably be back again. We will probably do this again in a year. I think the last time that we got on the microphones and did this was about a year ago. So maybe we'll just check in with Tim once a year. And that's the way that I like it. If you liked this episode as well, please let me know by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe there. Check it out on Spotify if you're a Spotify listener and you want to leave a review and you're like, I don't have Apple Podcasts. Am I going to leave Benny T hanging? Not so fast, my friends. You can also leave a rating and a review on the Facebook page for the show at Real Talk w Benny T. Leave a rating and a review there. You can also follow along on Instagram at Real Talk w Benny T. And you can also follow my personal Instagram or my TikTok at BennyTomp18. I am back next week. I've got Jordan Toma coming up. Just a kid with an IEP, really inspiring story, great guest, great interview, and I cannot wait for that shit to drop. I hope you'll be back next Wednesday. I hope you'll be back next Wednesday to hear it. I hope you'll be back next Wednesday to hear it. All right, guys, that's it. I am Ben Tompkins. That's real talk.